0: And welcome to this episode of the Insignificant Others podcast. I'm Brett Featherston along with Rob Flint. Rob, how are you? Good, Brett. How are you? I'm doing good. So I got to tell you, this uh, this particular episode, this guest of ours, was, um, was particularly appealing to me. So I, I like to think of myself as a golfer, um, even though I'm not really that good in my mind, I think I am, but... Uh, Randy Smith is our guest. Randy Smith is listed by uh, Golf Digest as one of the 50 best golf teachers in America. So he is mentioned in the same breath with the Butch Harmons, the David Ledbetters, the Hank Haney's of the world. Uh, He's an exceptional golf teacher. His professional, uh, call him students, I guess. That's the right word? Yeah. So his his students include Justin Leonard, Harrison Frazier, Colton Nost, who's had a great couple of years. Martin Flores, Ryan Palmer. Overall, his students on, uh, in professional golf have made over $75 million. There have been, what, about 16 wins, one major win, three Ryder Cup appearances from his pupils.
1: Amazing. Truly amazing. And don't forget his pupil that was uh, there when we were recording the podcast, Cody Gribble.
0: Cody's going to do some great things. So it's interesting. Cody Gribble's on the web.com tour right now. And uh, you're right. So uh, Randy was finishing up a lesson with Cody. It's probably a couple-hour lesson. I'm guessing he spends time with him. And it was very hot that day, and Cody was cooling off. And he sat and listened to us for probably half, three-fourths of of the entire podcast. And fell asleep. Did he really fall asleep He fell
1: asleep. And if you were to see Cody off the street, not knowing that he was a professional golfer, would you more associate him as being a professional golfer or a linebacker? He was thick.
0: He's a big dude. He's I mean he's, yeah, I mean, he's
1: not, he's not athletic, fat. athletic. I mean, like uh, God forbid. Uh, he was a muscular young man.
0: And for all intents and purposes, should be on the PGA tour right now and was so close so close to getting his tour card last year but because he played and and did very well in the byron nelson he was unable to get his tour card but i'm i am i am confident he'll get it this year and be on the pga tour rather than the web got tom tour so he's going to be another jordan spieth type of kid
1: and add to the the total money winnings and tour wins and hopefully major wins.
0: Absolutely. So uh, Randy Smith is in the PGA of America's Hall of Fame. He is the all-time PGA of America National Award winner with over 18 national awards, including Teacher of the Year and Golf Professional of the Year. He's been at Royal Oaks for 20, 30 years, been there for a long time. He, he is uh, uh, really an asset to that, uh, that club. And he is a regular contributor to Golf Digest magazine. So I think you're really, really going to enjoy it if you if you like golf at all. You know, the other thing is he is a fellow Red Raider. So he's from West Texas and uh, just an overall great guy.
1: He was an awesome, awesome guest and I really enjoyed talking to him. And he was nice to take time out of his day to sit down and record the podcast with us. So um, I'll make this hopefully short and quick. It is hot outside, as we all know, and it's Texas. And temperatures are reaching 100 degrees each day. And, you know, the question of how do we as Texans deal with the heat? And one thing that I like about the heat is that every once in a while, it produces a massive thunderstorm. And a couple of days ago, there was a, an early morning thunderstorm. The wee hours of the morning. In the wee hours of the morning, an early morning thunderstorm. That It was one of those thunderstorms where you wake up and it's like one forty-eight a.m. You didn't expect it to rain, certainly not to thunderstorm and lightning like it did. And there's nothing better than the moment when you wake up at that hour of the morning and you – connect the dots that it's, you know, thundering and lightning outside. Is there anything more conducive for sleep than that?
0: It is such a great time. Sleeping during the rain is, it's like, uh, ambient. It's so wonderful. Well, you can feel, yes, you can feel the,
1: the pressure drop and there's like a stillness in the air and, and the temperature is just right. And it's, it's like, falling asleep to a classical music orchestra that's playing outside your window. And then if you have children like what we do, um, you can almost count down on your fingers when your youngest child is going to pitter-pat down the stairs and run into your bed, and there's nothing better than that either. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Well, unless they, uh, like, like my youngest daughter, flops around like a catfish in bed and, and, and then, that wakes
1: up a lot. That's different. They, so being that um, Randy is our, our guest on this podcast, it got me thinking about uh, teachers and some of the instrumental teachers in my life and and your life and what makes a great teacher. and And I'm thinking about my... Public school education, college education, and and the teachers that resonate most with me are from public school, and 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 this may not be a surprise to you, Brett, but but my favorite teachers were the ones that were the most strict because I needed to be you needed that? kept in check.
0: I would have never guessed.
1: So, what I think makes a great teacher is somebody who challenges you and hold you accountable for the quality of your work. And the the teachers in my life that come to my mind are my fourth grade teacher, Mrs. Collier. And she was an incredible African-American lady, older lady, who I was morbidly afraid of. <laughs> morbidly afraid of. I'm not joking. and And she challenged me. She never let me take a break. She punished me when I misbehaved, and and I can't think you know a lady, it's, it's
0: ama- she made an impression on you. She absolutely made fantastic. an impression
1: on me. I think of teachers like Mr. Blevins, Mr. Blevins, ruled with an iron fist. He was a, a math teacher in high school. And he his claim to fame was that he put a paddle on the wall, mounted his paddle on the wall of the classroom, and he had a name for his paddle, and it was Old Bessie. And so Mr. Blevins, if you can think of like Roy Rogers, like what he would wear at the Grand Old Opry. That was him. That was him. But it, instead of the Grand Old Opry, it was... High School Math oh yeah, we used to get licks
0: if you got three tardies to a class, you 'd have to get licks and,
1: and I attribute my love of math. I was really good at math, and you know for a lot of kids and I understand this, uh, algebra is a tough subject it's it 's like a crossover mm-hmm. and once you master algebra, then everything else kind of falls into its place and he I was so scared of him, and I certainly was afraid of not turning in my homework or not studying for an exam or certainly not misbehaving because old Bessie would come and give you some swats. But I, uh, I look back and and think very fondly of Mrs. Collier and
0: Mr. Blevins.
1: For me, for
0: me, it was Barbara Crowley who taught at Crowley high school. she was, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to tell what a great teacher is because how, I mean, it's so subjective. But for me, she was a great teacher and was just a, a sweetheart of a person that that helped me learn and related to my weird teenage person that I was at that time and that's well, I think I needed that as much as anything
1: well, earlier we were talking, and you raised a really good point like it in, in in our children's school system, they hand out awards for the best teacher or teacher of the year, yeah, and i I'm, I'm you know the stories that I've just related to you about Mrs. Collier and Mr. Blevins, I'm not so sure that they would have won that award. And, and not to say that you have to be a strict disciplinarian to win it, but what, you know, what goes into determining
0: who wins Teacher of the Year? I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's so subjective. It's hard to say. I mean, it depends on the students. It depends on are you an easy grader or you're a tough grader. Uh, Metrics, like I mean, yeah. who passes yeah. the STAR test or the percentage of the
1: folks that pass the STAR test. Yes. You yeah. Know. So. Um,
0: Although I will say that uh, elementary school teacher, Ms. Poe, who got teacher of the year for one of our kids, she was such an impressive teacher and, and impressive person, but was a great teacher. You could, she took her craft very seriously. Heard many Many good things about Mrs. Voe. Yeah, she was awesome. Her is still awesome.
1: Now, my only my only wish is that I had a strict golf instructor who would hold me accountable for the, all of the many fallacies in the game of you know in my golf game, like uh, Randy Smith.
0: Yeah, you know, I don't want a strict golf instructor because. Uh, if Randy was my uh, my teacher in golf and he had a paddle,
1: my, <laughs> my, my backside would be He wouldn't sore. be able to walk.
0: It would be extremely, extremely sore because I, well, because, like I said, I play golf. And that's it, not well. <laughs> so... uh I hope you enjoy our time with Randy Smith. Uh, You know, he's got a a lot of charm, a lot of personality. He's a great storyteller, and I think you're really going to enjoy it. So stay tuned. Randy Smith is up next. And welcome back to this episode of The Insignificant Others. I'm Brett Featherston with Rob Flint. Rob, how are you doing? Good. How are you doing, Brett? I'm doing great. We're here in the Randy Smith Teaching Center at Royal Oaks Country Club with what Golf Digest says is one of the top 50 golf instructors in the USA, Randy Smith. Randy, how are you?
2: Hot. (laughs) Real hot.
0: (laughs) Randy just got off the range working with uh, the great Cody Gribble, who is watching us over, sitting down, cooling off, Cody, next year be on the PGA tour? You think? Yes, definitely, no doubt. Should have been on this year, but uh, and we talked about that. But so, how did you get your start in golf?
2: Oh, you know that uh, it's you know that's such a generic question right off the bat. Way to go, Brett. Yeah, <laughs> but but really, you know, a very good one. You know, I think as as most kids did, they got started from their dad. You know, uh, I played all sports when I was growing up. Uh, and one of the sports my dad played that was a little out of character from, uh, you know, the baseball that I played, that he played, the football that he played, that I played, uh, just couldn't make that basketball work. Uh, but track, track and field, all those things. And the one sport that he really got interested in a little bit later in life was golf. And, uh, I thought it was unique. There was something about it. Uh, that, I, I it, To this day, I can't really tell you what hooked me on it, but I think it was being outside and uh, enjoying it. And, and As a little kid, you play a sport and you enjoy it. A lot of times football is not real enjoyable. Right. But uh, when I played golf, I, I tended to enjoy it until I developed a temper when I was about four, 13, and it wasn't enjoyable for about two or three years. But I think it came from my dad.
0: And growing up in Odessa, I would think there, there's a – a lot of pressure for every boy there to play football, be a Permian Panther.
2: Well, there's no doubt. In fact, the deciding factor on me not playing, other than the fact that there wasn't much of a need. I know Permian won a lot of football games with undersized players. I mean, you know, you got a 160-pound middle linebacker that's about five seven. You got a center that's uh, 160 pounds and five ten. Stuff like that. They had undersized players, but I, I kind of pushed that a little bit too far, and there was not a place really in their system for a 5 5, 120 <laughs> middle, middle linebacker. <laughs> they couldn't make that work? They just couldn't make it work. I was real good on getting through splits, though, because I could hide behind anybody <laughs> on the line and sneak through the split. But eventually they were going to break me in half, which they did, uh, getting ready for the freshman year. I was going to go, I was going to play, and I was going to play golf too. And uh, we were doing freshman stuff uh, before we really got into Permian that summer, legally. And uh, separated shoulder, collarbone, in half, doing that in uh, non-pad
0: drills. Helped make your decision for you. Yeah,
2: Yeah, and uh, that probably is what got me on golf full-time.
0: So the, I should say, famous golfers that you have taught, and work with include justin leonard harrison frazier colt nost martin flores the list is long scotty scheffler who uh had a great outing day one at the u.s open and of course cody gribble when did you realize in your golfing career that you're probably going to be a better teacher than a player
2: well it was a little (laughs) later you know a little later um I played golf at Texas Tech for about a year and a half, a semester and a half, and uh, financially, and also playing poorly that last semester. I started out okay, and then played played poorly. And I need to make a living to stay in school because I knew the value of a degree, and uh, so you know I I made a decision right there, and I was fortunate enough to go to work at Lubbock Country Club. Um, second my second year of college. Doing all kinds of things from club repair, rent car fleets, working in the back room, working in the shop uh, for Gene Mitchell, Jr. and Sr. And that started me really on the road because part of that kind of was I was helping people. I wasn't really teaching, but I put some tips out there because they had a lot mm-hmm. of jobs. And it was a lot of fun to be out on the range. And, uh, you know, something you say made a difference in what they did. So I kind of had a feel then. So I turned pro uh Entered the uh, educational programs and turned professional my sophomore uh, into my junior year, and went to work as an assistant pro. And that's when I started teaching. My basically going into my senior year of college, and was teaching at uh, Lubbock Country Club. Now I promise you there should be refunds to a lot of those people, <laughs> but you know that's kind of where you start out, and that's that kind of got me on the teaching side of it. Of course, you know, those things tend to change a little bit. I enjoyed the teaching, but, you know, golf professionals, as we came up, as I came up in the business, we had to learn how to merchandise, which is wonderful. And we had to learn uh, tournament operations. All these things, if you're going to be a head head professional someday. Right. So... uh, I got into that and I got into, you know, custom shoes and things like that. Golf bag design, all these things. And all of a sudden it got me away from the, you know, the teaching part. I was fortunate enough to replace Buddy Cook here at Royal Oaks. uh, When was that? That was in 1980. I came here with him in 1976 as an assistant from Tulsa Country Club where I was for a year and a half. And all I knew was merchandising. And that's. That's what was out there. You know, people didn't just say, oh, I want to teach. You know, uh, we've got to merchandise. We've got to get a color wheel. We've got to do all those things that are very necessary in a country club. But it took you away from what really runs the game. And, oh, gosh. The thing that kind of switched that, I was given a few lessons here at Royal Oaks as a as a head professional. There's a seven-eight-year-old kid out here that kind of changed my whole deal when he went off later on in life. <laughs> uh, I think he was 12 or 13, won a tournament up in Oklahoma, was, uh, one of the first AJGA tournaments. Came back and said, I wanted to know more. And he looked at me, and he's looking at me saying, I want to know more. And I've been working with him. And I said, more? <laughs> and it dawned on me. Ooh. Jeez, I gotta go get good.
0: Gotta open my game. I've gotta go
2: get good. <laughs> I mean, I'm teaching. Uh, no, I'm giving lessons, and I was thinking I was doing okay at the ones I did give. Right. But when the kids said that, uh, I started going to seminars. I started bugging other teachers, and got better and better as the time time went by. It, you know, it just shows that you know. You're not going to just walk out there and become a teacher. You need to be around great teachers, and you need to see how they approach
0: people. So which, which other teachers had the most influence on you? Well, uh,
2: in my career, which is now that I look at it, it's a pretty long one now, now to think about it, uh, Harvey Pinnock had a bunch of influence on me because uh, Mr. Pinnock, I've I, I really been not been around him, and uh, one day I was having trouble chipping. And I said, Tulsa Country Club is in the system. And I was out there trying to get, you know, play with the members. And I wasn't chipping it good. I was a great chipper of the ball. And I said, you know, on a whim, I just called up uh, Harvey and said, Mr. Pinnick, uh, and he, he answered the phone and the whole deal. And he said, my name, bye, 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 bye. He says, okay. He says, well, he gave me a time, got in the car. Had,
0: and, had you read the Little Red Book or was that yeah, even well, out It wasn't even a Little Red Book
2: at that time. Yeah. This is back in 70, I want to say 75, 76 is when it was. And I went down to Austin and went out there on the range at about, oh, I don't know, it's about 3.30 in the afternoon on a Sunday. And, you know, drove in that morning. And you talk about hot. It was <laughs> one of the hottest days I've ever been around. This, this older man came up to me all kind of bent over a little bit. Back then, he was already bent over. And I told him, you know, hello and all that kind of stuff. And he said, all right, let me see you hit some shots. And let me see you do this. I hadn't even told him I came to see him
0: about chipping.
2: he says... "Well,
0: "Mm -hmm." Now, now, at that time, was he as renowned as he is? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah,
1: I mean, maybe for those people who don't know, you know, who Harvey Pinnock is, I mean, he's basically the golf teaching icon, you know, certainly in the state of Texas. For sure. Uh, but beyond, yeah. but but just for those folks who yeah. don't know, I mean, he worked with Ben Crenshaw, and then didn't he also work with Tom, Tom Kite? Kite?
2: Tom Kite, Mickey Wright, Betsy yes. Ball. All those those great, a lot yes. of great players, but especially the Kite and Crenshaw connection. Uh, he basically from s- small kids worked with them, but he just had a beautiful way of going about telling you something. He could use 10 words and tell you a book. Right. And that was the biggest thing I got out of that. Uh, so uh, you didn't even tell him you were there to work on no, chipping and he no. was. Uh-uh. He went ahead and started doing things with my grip, which I knew I had a horribly strong left hand. He says, can you strengthen it more? I said, I think I'm going to like this guy right off. Now, where's he going? <laughs> he did something with my right hand. I started hitting the ball beautifully and did it for about two and a half, three hours out there. But he stayed only – the longest he ever stayed was five minutes. He'd get back in his little range picker, and he would drive and pick golf balls up and everything, drive back and get on his stool and watch me again after about 30 minutes of driving around out there picking balls up. I said, you're doing good with that. Now let's add a little of this. Okay. And it was absolutely marvelous. And after it was over with, he says, now, I think it's looking a lot better, and that's what you need to do. And I said – I can't thank you enough. And said, "Miss Pink, what do I owe you? He says, well, yeah, uh, you just, you just play well. And then that'd be enough payment for me. And I said, I don't want to do it that way. He says, well, that's what we're going to do. He says, well, that's a, you know, I can't believe that. You know, I came down here wanting you to work on my short game on my chip and give me an idea, get me back on track. And yet what I've gotten right now is probably as as valuable. It's just wonderful what you've done. He goes, you came down for chipping? You wanted to chip? Oh, I'm sorry. I said, You don't worry about that. This is, I can't tell you how unbelievable this was. And he says, Well, I tell you what, uh, we're closed on Monday, but I got to come do some stuff early in the morning. Uh why don't you come out and we'll get a little, we'll look at that chipping early in the morning if you're going to be around. I wasn't. I was drive <laughs> you back make, all you night. make time. Yeah, uh, yeah. Found a quick hotel room, and I was back out there the next morning, and heard some of the greatest stories about a bunch of different players, uh, and and how they pitched and chipped the ball, and worked with me about an hour and a half, and I I just couldn't believe it, and got back in the car, and that that's always had an influence on me. Big
1: so from time. that moment forward, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that you you maintained your relationship with um, Harvey and and. You know, obviously becoming uh, a golf instructor um, who has, you know, famous pupils and putting in the time that you did. um, You know, tell us about the friendship and the relationship that you had over the years. Well, with Mr. Penny? Yes.
2: Not very much.
1: Not very, okay. Not very much. uh -uh.
2: I went away, and and it's one of those deals where, you know, I revered him so high up here. Now, I did run into him several times, and uh, he would remember. He says, show me your grip, I'll remember you.
0: <laughs> That's how he remembers That's you. how he, he remembers, remembers people. people.
2: Yeah, show, if you show me your grip, I'll tell you. And he could. Wow. It's, it's amazing because he did, you know, he looked at how the hands were on the golf club. Uh, I was very fortunate, though, when I was serving on the National PGA Board to go to an annual meeting of the South Texas PGA. And I was at the head table because I was – on the board and that was part of my territory then. And I was sitting beside uh, some pretty highbrow people. But Mr. Pinnock was getting on at that time and was in the very front row directly in front of me. And he stayed there the whole program. And i told some stories about him from up on the deal and then spent some time with him. And it it just was unbelievable evening to have him sit there, listen to me talk about stuff. That, you know, it didn't make a lot yeah. of sense, but uh, that was shortly before he passed, and I did make the funeral.
0: Wow. Well, I, I think you're you're being humble about the uh, about you talking because in 2005, you were inducted into the PGA of America's Hall of Fame. What was that whole ceremony like? Did they have a a big production and big ceremony for you?
2: Well. Uh, <sighs> I, you know, it was really a cool deal because there's a lot of people from Royal Oaks Country Club that came, and it was in Port St. Lucie where they put the Hall of Fame, just just north of uh, Palm Beach Gardens. And the thing about it was, there was there were I, I think in that class there were like four of us that went into the Hall of Fame, and they were, unveiled our plaques and busts and bronzes
0: and all that. And I got I had no words. So there's a bust of you there. I've always wanted a bust of me. It's never going to You just happen. gave us an idea. I, you gave yeah, us a we'll, great we'll idea. Get, we'll get you a bust. Yeah. <laughs> and,
1: and, and actually, we can create our own Hall of Fame because there isn't one around that would take us.
2: Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, that, that, that's the cool thing because, you know, he, to be in a Hall of Fame. You know, sure. Hall of you know, Fame for what? <laughs> yeah. But in, in my profession, it, it really meant a lot. It really did, especially have all the... All these people from Royal Oaks came down there, but the toughest part was getting them set up for golf and this and that. <laughs> but it was uh, very, a moment I'll treasure. Absolutely.
0: So one of the things, we, we, we had Harrison Frazier on our podcast before, and I reached out to him about some questions to ask you. So I know you've worked with him for years. Mm-hmm. Uh, he came up with Justin Leonard. I think you taught both of them at the same time. Oh, yeah. Your students have achieved 16 NCAA All-American titles, and you're kind of known for working with youth, with kids, with up-and-coming golfers. How'd you get started with kids? Are they the ones that are just coming out? No,
2: yeah. Well, I don't know. I'm kind of still a kid myself. I think I identified better with them back, <laughs> especially back then. But the the fun thing about about kids. Uh, you know, you got to be in the right place at the right time. Have the right kid say it, but it goes right back to a, a kid that was just turned 13 years old saying, "I want to know more," and that's when I think I got really fired up. Especially with this kid who turned out to be that major tournament winner.
0: It's Justin Leonard.
2: Oh yeah. So you know, you know, Cody was you know he's over there sleeping the corner over there. Uh, I think, gosh, I think he was probably six, seven years old. And I've got film of him. I did a presentation. I'll never forget. I did this presentation to the uh, European Teaching and Coaching Summit. I think I was in Spain. And I did on junior golfers. And these people had no clue where this Texas board was going with it. And he was one of them that we filmed. And if I could find that tape, I'm going to find it. I know I've got it someplace. I'd like to just play it for him.
0: Comparing his swing then and now, no, no, or just it's not how great comp- it
2: was even then? Oh, you know, the swing, you know, obviously things change with maturity of the body and the mind and all that stuff. But just the funny things that came out of kids' mouths, you know. Yeah, uh, That's kind of the cool thing about being out here, because we've got some kids that are, I promise you, they're smarter. I, we've got four kids out here, I promise you right now, are either going to be the governor of the state of Texas. They're going to have their own national talk show. I mean, there's some really cool kids. And each one of the kids that have come up here at the club, uh, you know, kind of stimulate me to kind of keep going with those kids. Right. But the coolest thing about it is if, if all of a sudden you get one kid at the club that's really doing good and, you know, feels comfortable out there playing at a high level and all this, it's amazing all the little kids that follow him everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. You know, absolutely. And they'll hang out and, and you know, it's like with Cody, it's like with Martin or Harrison Harrison's so engaging with with everybody. The kids are always on top of these high high-ranked players. You know? Right. And to see the kids feel comfortable enough. You know, cold Oast, you know, is a little you know, he's got a little brash kind of he's a wonderful wonderful kid. And there's three little kids. I promise you, Colt hits this range out here. They follow him from one end to the other. And I think, Cody, you probably have seen that. You know, little bitty kids. We're out there working with Cody a while ago, okay? We have a little kid named Parker Heath. Boy, he's right over there with us, you know. Then goes back and hits balls for two hours in this heat. So there's a stimulus from the player. So I kind of called it the lead horse theory. Yeah. Yeah, you know what I mean. You get you get well, one good one, and I want to be like him. I want to yeah, be like him.
0: My son's out here playing right now, and yeah. he's he's okay. I think last time he's out here shot a forty-two on the front, so mm-hmm. he's he's at that point where Very he can good. just about beat me. When he starts playing from the blue tees, I'll admit it, but uh, it's because it's a chance for him to hang out with his friends. Mm-hmm. He enjoys the game, but he more enjoys hanging out with his friends. Mm-hmm.
2: And he's developed friends out here, and that's. Not not an advertisement for Royal Oaks Country Club, but this place was really built around kid-friendly situations. And uh, our job was to make sure that they stayed in the golf end of it. You know, some yeah. kids aren't, some kids will. But the ones that have stuck it out have gone on to do things that are unbelievable. Major championships, NCAA stuff, Walker Cups, uh, U.S. Amateur Champion, two of them. You know, to have two U.S. amateur champions at your club, gee, many Christmas. Who are those? Uh, well, Colt, we count Colt him because he yeah. came when he, I started working with him when he was about 16. And uh, Colt won the, what did he win? He won the mid am, United States amateur, and was on the winning Walker Cup team. And is the only player to ever hold all three trophies at one time. Wow which was really kind of cool out of him. And now he's playing for a living and doing really, really well. And then you have – Yeah, he's had a good last couple of oh, years. Oh, he's played well. He's playing really good. He played good today. So that's that's kind of cool to have them around. But it's not like the the unapproachable, oh, they're – you know, these kids have no problem coming up to Martin Flores. They have no problem whatsoever coming up to Martin when he's out here practicing, putting. And Martin has no problem giving them advice, information. Scotty Scheffler, who, if we can just get his little old back feeling just a little bit better, will be the guy. I mean, he is a marvelous player. Yeah. And the cool thing about that is that when Scotty came up from the time he was six, seven years old, when they moved here to Royal Oaks, uh, he came from New York. And he got out here, and he sees some tour player, whatever, and he'll sit back there, watch, 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 drink it in, and then implement it into what he's doing. And he just loved it. Then it got to the point where it was he got so good at an early age, he's playing golf with him, And there was no problem inviting Scotty to come along. You just got to get him on the right tee, and he will negotiate with you. <laughs> and uh, I think by, by being able to watch the great players here, and that wasn't just tour pros. We've got a guy named Chuck Palmer, this wonderful, wonderful player, now senior player. Great player. And Scotty would follow Chuck around, you know, see what he's got.
0: Chuck you know? is such a great player, but if you saw him in the room, you were think that, that's probably the guy that's not going to be the best golfer in the room. Oh, no.
2: Broke, a, oh, my God, the whole world. And then he hits a golf ball, and it is absolute poetry. Yeah. It's so just when,
1: beautiful. When you have a, a kid who has – the level of talent like what a Justin Leonard had when he first approached you or Harrison Frazier and they ask you, Hey, I would like for you to be my, my golf coach is, is there kind of a a feeling out phase before you commit, you know, Hey, let's work together, you know, over a month or a three month period and see where this goes or are you all in at that moment? Well, I'm all in. If I'm going to be doing instruction, I'm all in, Yeah, but it doesn't matter yeah
2: it's gonna, it's going to work or it doesn't work. there's some of them that may be very sad that didn't yeah, and then there's others I was very happy that they didn't, yeah, because it just wasn't going to work out. they'd be better served someplace else.
1: and, and how many hours I know this is going to this is a swag, but when you look back about the, the amount of time that you've spent with with those guys, I mean, how many hours do you think you've spent coaching a Justin Leonard, for example? Oh,
2: the better players.
1: Yeah.
2: Oh, a bunch. Yeah. In the, in the thousands. Of, oh yeah, yeah yeah. You know, over the years. Yeah. Because you, you know we're going back to nineteen, really, with him back into eighty one.
1: Now, 82. as part of your your coaching duties, would you travel with I've, those guys? I've always,
2: yeah, I've traveled. I've gone out, especially with Justin Harrison, back in the old days. In fact, I was out a lot more then than I am now. Okay. But I'll be out. But when I say out, used to I'd be there for the whole duration when Justin was out there, Yeah. when he first went out. Now I'll go out. I'll slip out of here on a Monday, and I'm back in on Wednesday, and nobody knew it.
1: Are there moments, I'm sure, where, uh, let's say, Colton Nost has a, a bad round during a tournament, and he wants to sort things through. I mean, does he pick up the phone, call you, and say, Hey, Coach, I need you out here ASAP?
2: Well... I'd say that that is an understatement. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that
2: was this afternoon. I know we don't have cameras here. Uh, that's funny. So, uh, so what, you, tell, tell what,
0: what are you tell him? What are you showing us? Oh, this is a text from Colton Host <laughs> <laughs> with, with a video of his swing <laughs> and questions. Just a great. So idea. it's, it's, it's all the time. That's right. Because he lives in Arizona now, right? Yeah, he
2: lives in Arizona, but he's playing in Reno. When yeah. well, he texts me this, he's leading the tournament. Wow! What am I going to say? Yeah, <laughs> uh, keep doing what yeah, you're doing. No, we got to change that, bud. <laughs> uh, you know. And so, you know, but it's it makes me feel good that they f- think enough about it to yeah. call. And if I can do something over the phone, I'm more than happy to do it. And and that's not just with tour players. I mean, I've got kids that call. I've I've got two phones, and I guarantee you. I've got kids calling, well, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And I said, well, what part of what we worked on did you not get? <laughs> yeah. That right there, don't be playing it on the golf course. You work on it on the range, create the habits, go play golf on the golf course, you know, and things like that. But it's, it's really kind of neat when you do get some yeah. phone calls. And,
1: and how, how would you define your teaching style?
2: Uh, well,
1: uh, you know, and I've
2: been asked that several times. I don't have any methods. Uh, everything I do is based on what the individual or the student wants or wh- wh- where, where do they want to go. I mean, where do you want to go with this? What is your biggest issue? And if we fix this issue, are you trying to be this? Are you trying to do this? I want to know where they want to go. Mm-hmm. And I want to know what they want to fix. And get better at,
1: and that's regardless of of, of level, right? I mean, you get exactly. you get the weekend hacker, and you know, he. I just want to shoot below a hundred. You bet. All the way to I want to be on the PGA Which is tour. Totally, that's that's probably
2: the most fun besides working. So with that the gives kids. you the most satisfaction. Oh, heck yeah,
1: carving off strokes off a hacker's game you versus bet. squeezing a few strokes off a professional's game.
2: Well, yeah, they're both pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> but if you can take a dead pull slicer. You know, mm-hmm. ugly slice, and I, well, I'm hitting it pretty good but, but, but I'm looking at it, and I'm just waiting. I said, "Well, what would you, if you had a wish list? What would it be?" And I love it when the person is bluntly honest. That big ugly slice is wearing me out, and if I could take a little of that slice off, that's where I get I light up because I know if I can change the slice and give them put them into a draw that they're going to feel better about themselves. They're going to play more golf mm-hmm. because it's more enjoyable. Uh, would it improve their scores? No, but it, it might not. But it certainly will improve their ego.
0: Yeah. It's yeah. <laughs> you know, after but, battle.
2: Yeah, I mean, if you're you hitting a slice and it's going out this way and coming back this way, it's not going downrange or down the fairway very far. But if you can get something that's turning the other direction or a straighter shot, they've got more distance, which usually leads to better scores, and then playing more, then the
0: handicaps start to drop. So so that brings up a question. When when you're talking about golf, how much of what you do is on the psychology side versus on the mechanics side? And I asked this. I'll give you time to think about it. I asked it because uh, in his book On Par, uh, Bill Pennington, the author, Mm -hmm. quotes you in this, and and you're basically saying that – Huh? Which book is it? Where it's called we... On Par. The author is Bill Pennington. Okay. What he say? <laughs> <laughs> what you know about? I like to know what he said. <laughs> and so this is this is my problem when I play. Is I get too fast and I'm trying to hit it far, and I just get all out of balance. And and you tell people to take the club in balance, stay in balance, make sure you finish with your pose, and it's easier to get people to think about just maintaining balance rather than coming over the top or getting too handsy or whatever. If you just focus on standing, it's almost like focus on something else and it's going to cure what's ailing you rather than if you just focus on coming over the top, it's hard to fix that.
2: Dead on. Uh, A lot of people think I've got kind of a holistic approach to teaching, which I don't think I would trade it because in some forms I think it's much more successful. Um, you can take a person that comes in. Okay. A good example of this is if they walk in and they ask me, okay, I need a lesson. Okay. What's the problem? Well, my swing plane is really under the plane or over the plane. And I'm going, okay, uh, I'm over the top (laughs) and I'm hitting an over the top, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Um, my right elbow, is always too straight, and I, I can't seem to, it's my right elbow. And they're answering it the wrong way. Right. And so I get the, the opportunity to say, well, what's the golf ball doing that you don't like? Well, what do you mean? What do you mean? That's what it's about. It's what the golf ball does. So you're talking about a swing plane. Do you even know what a good swing plane would be for you? Jim well, Furyk doesn't have a great swing plane. There are 55 different swing planes and back swings in the in the Hall of Fame and probably only two entries into the ball in the Hall of Fame right. so the thing is if you want to create something let's let's talk about something you do well I'm slicing it great example I said okay now do you play tennis oh yeah yeah I, I, I played pretty good I used to play in college bye 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 and I, I still play a little bit good play right-handed yeah Okay. What was your favorite ground stroke? Oh, boy, I used to love to bury that topspin forehand. Okay, good. All right. How'd you do it? Oh, I used to, oh it's great. I'd get that. Mm. I said, good. Now take your club. There's the ball. And give me a topspin forehand. Wait a minute. How do? I, it's just a little different looking racket. I want you to. There. Yeah, that's it. Rehearse it a little bit. There's the club turning. Oh, yeah. yeah the face going back this way. All right. Stick it up on a little T there. said, so, all right, now, stand up to it. And you make a top-spin forehand motion. I don't care where it goes. But make sure it's top-spin forehand. Whoosh, immediate, huge hook. And I said, okay, what else going to do today? <laughs> Cured your slice. <laughs> and there, but a lot of people go, well, no, wait a minute. That that didn't do anything with my swing play. Oh, you think it didn't? How are you going to top-spin it from out up and over and never dropping it back to the inside, how are you going to sit there and hit a hook from there? And when this swing you just made, and it's a lot of fun on the phone now, it's a lot of fun, you just, you know, film it. And the swing plane changed totally to a little more round, also a little more rotation with the arms going through, a more athletic motion. They go, gosh, just from hitting a tennis ball. No, from hitting a top spin forehand. Right. You know? instead of your really weak drop volley. So psychology-wise, yes, but it's also a point of you can take people that have done other activities and apply them to golf, I mean, almost to the player. What else did you do? Well, I threw a discus. Really? Had that happen one time. (laughs) And a guy's hitting a slice, and he was a discus thrower right hand. Well, think about spinning... And then it. how many left to right discus throwers come out of the right hand? Right. Uh-uh, ain't going to happen. And he said, well, it's a rotation. Right arm goes in, blah, 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 and the hand's on top into this I said, yeah. Now think about the club same way. Big hook. Wow. that That was pretty cool. I said, yeah, but it's something you've already done. If you've already done another activity and we can blend it into your golf swing, we can always refine it to the plane looks this, that, and the other. But we want to see a change in what the golf ball does. Because if you change what the golf ball is doing and that's what the player wants to see, then you've got something.
0: Right, right. So I, I do want to come back to uh, teaching kids and, and youth golfers. But you mentioned Scotty Scheffler, and he had a great first day at the US Open on the leaderboard, tied for third after day one. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the coolest thing is I saw him out here that week, and he was out on the chipping green by himself. I called my son. It's like, Scotty Scheffler's getting ready for a tournament. He's out here by himself just working and working and working. Mm -hmm. But I think the U.S. Open this year was fun to see Dustin Johnson win, but I think everybody's going to remember it for that one. Is it a penalty? Is it not a penalty? So I think if my memory serves correctly, he was on the fifth green when his ball moved. They told him on something like the 12th green that we actually might give you a. We're going to look
2: back at it. Yeah.
0: But we're not quite sure. So we'll let you know after. How how did that all sit with you? I tell you what, I was
2: totally confused. And, you know, the one thing is the irony of it happening to Dustin Johnson. Yeah. You know, um, at first, it didn't sit well. Then I, I listened, and I have a great deal of respect for what the USGA people do. And But I think, and by their own admission, they could have handled this a lot better And the fact that you had a referee in the match, took the information, and said, you're fine play on. Right. And by doing that, it should have been over with and done. In hindsight, grounding the golf club does not necessarily have to be directly behind the ball. The way it looks, if you put it close enough to the ball and ground it and the ball moves, then that also can be a penalty. Right. And say that there is a penalty for it. There were two other situations the very same day that rules were applied. And well, by looking at it, the amount of time that couldn't be a penalty in Dustin's case, it could be. So there's a lot of things that are a bit arbitrary in that. And it's not a, uh, that could very well happen to the PGA rules, rules officials uh, coming up at Baltusrol in about two or three weeks. Right. You know, could happen again. But I think the way that they would have liked to have handled it and should have handled it, people might not have liked it, was at that point, we're going to go look at it. We'll be back by the next hole. And I know there's a lot of running around out there, but they've got a compound. We're going to let you know on the next green what we see and. Cooperate it, and we'll chat again at the next hole. Yeah. not the twelfth
0: hole. No, yeah. Because in, in the twelfth hole, they didn't even give an answer. It's just that yeah, we're it's still, still under review. We're
2: still looking at it, and I th- and they've already talked about it. They know they could have done that a lot yeah. differently, and people learn from those mistakes. The beauty of it is that Dustin played phenomenal golf coming down the stretch. Oh, Whew. yeah, that shot on eighteen and is then, one of the best ever. Then I mean. it became almost a mute point, but I think the USGA. You know, it's kind of similar to if you've got, uh, how would it be? If somebody is, uh, oh, football. Okay, kick a field goal. They go up by three in the fourth quarter. <laughs> you know, okay, we're not really sure. We're going to have to look at several angles. Y'all go ahead and play on. We'll get back with you. Yeah, we'll get back with you. And if it's good, game's tied. If it's not good, they're ahead by three. You got four minutes left in the game. You've totally affected Yeah.
0: situation. Wasn't strategies. it, uh, I think it was Craig Stadler, years and years ago, that put down a towel right. to hit a ball out from underneath a tree? Mm-hmm. And then somebody watching on TV calls in and says, hey, that's improving his lie. that's a stroke mm-hmm. penalty. That'd be like, I'm watching a football game and say, no, no, he was holding. I saw it right here. I, I can see it. You need to assess them five-yard penalty.
2: Well,
0: it's kind of similar. But, uh, but in defense of the
2: USGA, I mean, they didn't, they didn't go run hide from it. They just kept they've, – they've come back with some pretty good statements, and they're going to relook how this is – how it goes down. And, and so, I, you know, I'm not going to throw a – you know, I couldn't throw the USGA under the bus because they do too many good things. But at the same time, the amount of time that passed, you know, Dustin took everybody and, and made things better. Because if I'm sitting there thinking for five, six holes – I may get a penalty, and I'm thinking about that rather than playing a golf sure. course that's so hard that you can't believe it. Uh, I don't know if I'd play too well.
0: Oh no,
1: yeah, he played great.
2: That so was me.
1: how how do kids today that you work with approach the game of golf versus those kids that you worked with, let's say, in the 1990s?
2: Well, you know, back then, you know, the biggest thing was, you know, win the trophy in the biggest tournaments, you know, win the trophy. And then it became a little bit more, well, win the trophy, uh, maybe I'll get a college scholarship. And now it's kind of like these kids are going to be there for how long before they go out on their own playing the tour? The instructions has uh, gotten better, but the main thing is the equipment has gotten better. All the kids that you see now that are coming out and playing the collegiate tournaments, I'm sure some people saw the NCAA championships. If you think about it, probably none of those kids have ever worn spikes.
0: <laughs> wow.
2: <laughs> and they've only known soft spikes. Okay. So... In that group right there, I would bet it's almost difficult. I I don't think any of those kids ever played a wound golf ball. Wow. Nor hit a
1: persimmon driver. A persimmon, the, the old persimmon driver.
2: So when you look at it, the way they've made the ball and how the clubs have evolved, you know, you take a metal wood up against a more solid ball. The metal wood is not meant to spin it as much and work it as much. The ball doesn't spin as much, so that means what for these kids that have come out? The harder you hit it, the straighter it might go. Mm -hmm. And that's what you're seeing, you know, how the equipment's affected these kids. So they're getting to the higher levels quicker today than they did back then. I think they're taking advantage of the clubs they grew up with and some really good instruction out there. And I'm not even talking about me, but there's a lot of guys that have done some really good work and not burn these kids out. Because what you have, you've got parents who are going to bring a kid in. You've got to see my little Johnny. And I say, okay. he's Boy, I tell you what, he's really good. He's eight years old and he can hit it 190 yards right now. And it never seems to be quite that way. <laughs> and they have an expectation of what their kid's going to be because they want him to be that.
1: that that's actually... you. What you just said there, I think, is a question we both had, Brett. Is that and and no names and you know, but just I'm sure there have been instances in your career where you are dealing with uh, an overbearing parent who has uh, unrealistic expectations. Do those actually
0: exist in uh, youth I, athletics?
1: <laughs> no, no, no. This is this is something only unique to golf. How how challenging is that as a as a teacher as a coach? To deal with that
2: well it can be challenging but it's not it's not a big deal
1: really it's not t- I mean me Mm-mm. if it becomes untenable is it something that you just say look perhaps you should go work with somebody else oh, they'll know it they'll know it okay yeah. <laughs> <That's> just, <laughs> they'll know it yeah
2: and there's some things I like to see out of kids because I've been fortunate enough to see the kids that really do it right and That I don't want to prejudge any kid. Yeah. But when the parent has a bigger expectation of what the kid is, then I know that the kid may be under some heat, under some pressure, and he might not want to be out there quite as much as the parent wants them to be there. Those usually work themselves out because they will burn the kid completely up. And they don't mean to, but it's just it's just one of those things. Yeah. Yeah, I've got a kind of a deal. Guys come up and said, well, I've got this young kid. He's going to be pretty good. I like the way he hits the ball. And I they said, when do we start him on lessons? I said, how old is he? Four. <laughs> 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 and used to. I, I mean, I wasn't real. I mean, it, it was eight or nine years old before, I, you know, yeah. instruction, right? Well, that's changed. It's gone down a little bit. He's four years old. He said, when do I start him on lessons? And, they're, you know. They're wanting some answer that would go along the lines of when he can play from the ladies' tee and do this or whatever. No, I'll start giving a child lessons when they absolute raise cane with the parent when they go to the golf course and they don't get to go. When they get all upset because they can't go too, and then it goes one step further. I know I'm going to work with them. When they pitch a fit, when the parent wants to go home, and they don't want to, yeah, then it's time to start lessons. We can get right at that. That kid, I want part of him because that's the want to side of it. It's not the made to.
1: Did Did you see a uh, an increase in the number of let's let's just call them overbearing golf parents after Tiger, Tiger Woods. Woods kind <laughs> of hit it and Earl Woods and kind of how he. Oh, yeah. Helped Tiger, if you will. Oh, yeah. Get to where he got. Helped yeah. is a nice word. Yes. I'm yeah. trying to be nice.
2: Well, the, the thing about it is, and it's natural. You know, it's, it's only natural for parents to want the best for the kiddo and stuff like that. But there, for as many of those parents that maybe just are a little bit too much, Yeah, there are so many that are encouraging Oh, yeah. No, I, I don't mean to. And that, no, I understand. Focus because, on that. But you got to deal with that other side. Yes. And uh, I've got some unique ways to do it. Sure. But I identify them pretty quick. And if they're members of the club, uh, you know, here at Royal Oaks, you know, you're going to see a little bit of it. But most of those people, it's usually a referral from a member. You got to work with little Johnny after, you know, and then here comes. You got time for a quick story? Yeah. Okay. We'll refer to him as little Johnny. And I'm not going to refer to the <laughs> member that referred the, this this kid and his dad to me. Now he's a pretty good little stick, the way I understand it. He plays pretty well. Well, I've got a lesson scheduled with him. And this was 12 years ago, 10, 12 years ago. And it was going to be at like 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I've already been up here since about 8.30 or 9.00. And it was a long day, and it was wonderful. Everything's going fine. And I see this guy pulling up in his cart with this kid, and they pull around to the parking area, and I'm finishing up with this lesson. I look back. All of a sudden, Dad hadn't even got the parking brake set on that golf cart, and he has jumped out. He has grabbed those golf clubs off the back, okay? He's flipped the towel around his neck, Put the kids' clubs on his shoulder, and here he comes. Now he's got a scare, one of those scare hats from some neat place where people play golf. He's got two wristbands on terry cloth, like is he's the going dad? to war. He's wearing golf shoes, and here he comes with this golf bag. And I'm finishing a lesson, and I look back and I see it. This is happening. Oh boy, this isn't going to be good. I, I see little Johnny who's about 12, 13, he's getting out of the cart, doing a little stretch there, and he gets his glove out of his pocket, puts his glove on, gets that Velcro just right, kind of gives it the cool strut across the tee, about 20 yards behind his dad, who's beating it up there to me. And in the middle of me finishing this lesson, he throws the clubs down about 10 feet away. He says, just letting you know we're here for our, for our lesson. I said, "Yeah." See, there's some more balls. I'm going to be running about 10 minutes late. And he kind of gave me the look. I said, No problem. I, went, I looked over, and little Johnny's still ending up on the line. He is doing the walk. I mean, he's doing the walk. And finally, I just kind of ended it, and I went over and I introduced myself to this gentleman. And I said, So nice to meet you. And, and about that time, little Johnny's up over there. I said, Little Johnny, how, it's so good to see you. So, yeah, well, we are looking forward, Bill. I said, well, that's wonderful. Now, here's how we're going to do this. I want you, sir, to take that bag back to that golf cart. And I want you to plug it back in and strap it back in, if you don't mind. And then put the towel around the clubs back where you had it, all right, if you don't mind, okay? And little Johnny, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back to that golf cart, get your clubs off the back of it, Put that towel around your neck, and I want to meet you right down here. We'll get you warmed up and ready to go.
0: Carry your own bag.
2: And this guy looked at me like I had two heads, did not say a word. It was one of the best little sessions. The kid turned out to be a great kid. It was wonderful. And they left and patted him on the back, and Dad said, thank you very much. I left and never heard another word from him in my <laughs> life. But it kind of gives you the idea, you know, the kid, you can't drag them to the, to the altar. Yeah. You can expose them to the altar, but you can't drag them up there. And they can't think that they're more than what they are.
1: You yeah. know? Yeah.
2: And that's kind of the way that is. Because that's the same parent that's going to go chew this kid's rear end out when he made a double bogey on the last hole to lose that little junior term. And that's just not good for
0: him. It just that does not work. So you've had so much success with – Young students. I think uh, over a hundred of your students have received golf scholarships. Three um, hundred? What?
2: Well, Parge, you, if you've been around, you know, forty years messing with this, you're gonna get you're gonna get lucky three or four hundred times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's three
1: three something. I don't know. Well, no does, that, does know that include those. more than golf? Huh? Getting lucky more than three or four hundred times over a 30, 40 year period.
0: <laughs> Blum, <bang>. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh i've tried multiple times to get my daughters out here and i've seen uh scotty sheffler's sister i've seen her out here and she's got a great swing how many of your younger students are girls versus boys i would think that it's many more boys
2: it, it is and but the the girls are coming around it's 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 getting better and better and better uh I work, I mean, not a whole lot with the gals, but I've got three or four little gals I, I just thoroughly enjoy when I know I'm going to be working with them that day. And I've been fortunate enough to work with a couple of LPGA gals that, you know, this their sport is getting better and better and better. And I noticed uh, with the guys here at the club, with uh, Abe and Dean, You know, all the the guys and they come up here. And I looked up the other day, Abe's over here. He's got eight, no, probably six girls. And they're going through all kinds of, look like gymnastics and stuff. And it's called Gothletics. Abe's doing it with all these little girls. And they're having a ball. They're having an absolute ball. And I think it's great that they get exposed to it and see that other people have fun at a golf course. And, you know, they walk away from here and they're telling, where were you all day? Well, I was at the golf course. We did golf-letics, and then we had a putting contest. We had a great time. Boy, I look forward to going back the next day. And I see more and more of that, with especially the girls. Uh, a lot more gals up here hitting balls than little ones yeah. than we've had in the last few years. And I think the sport itself is, is kind of turned a corner and uh, it's really showing them in a great light. So we're looking out the window right here. I see, well, looky there.
0: Yeah, two girls walking.
2: Two girls walking. And the cool thing is she's got a high school golf bag. The other one's got a college golf bag, and she is just finished her fourth year. She already has a degree from Texas A&M. She plays on the golf team for four years – or, pardon me, three years – She's got one more year, and she's in postgraduate. She will graduate with her second degree at the end of the fifth year. That's awesome. That's so great. Cool. And I can't figure out why she has left that ball. That She's a little better than that. She
0: must be playing.
2: <laughs> I guarantee I know what it is. She's back playing the men's tees again. She's
0: back playing championship tees. It's a 16th hole for, for those of you that can't see this. But. So, so
1: or is there an instance of – the promising student that you worked with who, for whatever reason, didn't fully realize his or her talent that, that let's say, causes you to lose sleep at night. Like, yes. Like if so-and-so just... Yeah,
2: it does. And I shouldn't be that way, but it does. Yeah. I, I think anytime you take a, a certain degree of
1: pride in it,
2: uh, you know... You want people to. You want every. You want every lesson to be perfect, yeah. And they're not. And every kid is not going to realize totally their potential. All you can do is give them the best that you can give them, encourage them the most that you can, yeah. And relish the times it pays off.
0: Oh sure. So we were talking about Tiger Woods a second ago. Got to ask you if you think he'll ever win a major again. Oh
2: boy, I've been asked that a bunch. Will he ever win a major again? Uh, I think he's going to. I think he can. Yes, he can definitely win a major again. I think it's going to require him making some changes to not swing coaches and stuff like that. Changes to philosophy about the game. Uh, I've always had a small issue with playing fourteen events and then coming out, and here we go. And if you've been injured and you've got to protect yourself, well, you can protect yourself with 18 to 20 events. Right. And I mean real events on the tour. And I think he needs a a lot more repetition than beating balls down in Florida. In other words, play a tournament, play the next week. You don't have to play three weeks on that back. You know, play two weeks in a row. Play a tournament that maybe you haven't played in a long time. You know – Every great player, is always giving something back to the game, and I know that that would be one of the greatest ways that Tiger could do it is go out and play a few terms, put together a schedule where you play the Byron Nelson again, yeah, or you play Colonial again, uh, you played this term or this term, it's kind of go out and and play tournaments and play two in a row to get kind of a role going. Now this can't happen until he knows he is ready to play golf and. I've I've heard some rumors that he is hitting the ball fairly decently. He's just not to the point where he would feel
0: comfortable playing. Interesting. Now, do you you see any common thread between these really good golfers? Is there anything that they all have in common? Any secret sauce (laughs) that apparently I'm lacking? (laughs) Um,
2: I tell you what, I hate to say it, but work ethic has to be right up there. You know, the... You know, working at it, getting better. The repetitions you just mentioned. Yeah, repetitions. But the biggest thing is, is in the shot making, getting on the golf course, figuring out what they need to get better at, working on that particular situation. And another thing that I've found that great players have always been curious, sometimes to a huge flaw. Well, I'm curious about that type of swing. I'm going to try to do that. Uh, curiosity may get them in trouble when they change a really good swing. But curious players always are thinking about how can I do what Bill did or how can I do what Tiger does. And I think if I did it this way, I could do the same thing they're doing. Their curiosity is there, and you see it in short game. Right. Great short game players are not necessarily taught all the X's and O's of short game. They're directed. Uh, There's some techniques. There's some ABCs. But they get in there and make up. They make up their own shots. They make up shots. That might not be what they do, but if for me, this really works. And then, okay, that's great. It's like in bunker play. You know, there's a bunch of different ways to play successfully in bunkers. And I think tour players have done a marvelous job of figuring out about 20 of them. Right. They may all look like they're doing it the same. They may say they're doing it the same, but you watch the face angles on certain shots and what they do. It's absolutely amazing. And how'd they do it? They got in a bunker and made it up. They This works a little better. Watch this. I can spin that ball right to left instead of left to right.
0: And that kind of goes back to the work ethic because you've got to get in there and tweak and play oh, with yeah. it and make it a little bit of fun.
2: Absolutely.
1: If... If you could coach one player on on the PGA Tour today, you know, it does not have to be a top 10 player, anybody, middling player. Who would that be? And why?
2: Oh gosh. One player on the PGA Tour today if I could coach him. Mm-hmm. That you're not currently that coaching. That you're not no.
1: currently coaching.
2: Hmm. <laughs> I'll tell you what politically I may be running for the first question that y'all have asked I may have to run (laughs) for that we we could potentially
1: be giving you new business no it's not
2: the business is with the Dr. Rubies and Miss Jones
1: and and, and the kids and stuff
2: you know that's not a lot that's not the deal there's different personalities out there I think I would I'd have fun with Sure, not necessarily teach them but I enjoy being around certain players you know
0: Colt's got to be fun to be around. Oh
2: yeah, t- until he until he gets it going a little bit sideways, he can be a little twippy. But overall, he's probably one of the most gregarious guys that, that's out there. He's a lot of fun, and there's other guys that are, uh, you know, really have a, you know, they have a good time on the golf course. Yeah, you know, you know Kevin Chappell, he's a nice guy. Uh, Sean Stephanie, phenomenal guy, and we're not, you know. Obviously, Kevin's playing real well. Um, I can't think of anybody out there that's just. Yeah, I can too. But we'll keep that for another time.
0: <laughs> so let me ask you this: uh, it, it, Different. Have Was you that worked a, effective dodge? Do yeah, you think? yeah, yeah, okay. You do have a life in politics. Um, have you worked ever with Spieth, Jordan Spieth? No, no? never, no.
2: I think the world of him. I've known him often, you know, since he was a kid. Because yeah, he's out here
0: hanging out here. And, yeah, I've seen uh, him out here several times. And, and, and you know, no, I've never worked with him. Uh, but he, he wouldn't be the type that hey, listen, I'm curious about what you think. No, about No, oh gosh,
2: and, no. He what he's he don't touch that. Cameron and the, they've done a marvelous job, and Jordan has turned into an absolute marvelous player. He's always been good, but now it's it's. Unbelievable how good he's doing. No, I have I have never worked, nor would I ever. I mean that yeah. that that's a great situation that they've got, and they need to keep
0: that up
2: because that right there is good for golf.
0: But on the other side of it, I believe I read that Cameron reached out to you as he was learning how to be a good coach to say get help with the philosophies of teaching and coaching.
2: Well, I you know, and he yeah. He did I mean that's a long time ago and very flattering you know to see how well he has done with his coaching and, and what what he's what he's accomplished and especially with what Jordan but there's so many other players that Cameron has, has worked with uh, the you know some junior players that are very good two or three college players that are marvelous and plus I was at the LPGA then here in Dallas uh, or out Los Colen and Irving and I was out there on a Monday watching a couple of gals, you know, and helping them a little bit, and I look over, and here's Cameron working with two gals over on another fair, fairway, LPGA players. So, uh, you know, he's doing a marvelous job.
0: Okay, so that begs the question. When, when you have somebody, whether or not it's a college player or a pro, mm-hmm. how much time are you spending with them on the instru- – I know that, you know, Colt sends you texts. Got a question about it, but is it like once a week, once a month? How often are you really working with them? Well, it totally
2: depends on the player. You know, some of them are – some players require a lot more. And, you know, like a good example, Martin's been out for three weeks. He's coming in. He's off this week. I'm going to see him once for about two or three hours. It's on a specific thing he needs to work on. We already know what it is, and that's it. That's it. And uh, Ryan Palmer will be here Saturday. Uh, it's on a specific thing. We're looking at some putting deals. And just pat him on the back a little bit because that's all he needs. Yeah. And if a few putts go in, he's going to be hard to beat.
0: All right. You know, I think that's bringing us to the end. Any other questions Speaking yet? of hard to beat, it's going to be hard to
1: beat this podcast. I know that it's been great sitting here talking to you, and, and we can't thank you enough for taking time out to talk to, talk to us.
0: That's was fun. Yeah, it if anybody fun. wants to get a hold of you, uh, just through Royal Oak. No, <laughs> do you have a Twitter? Do you have a... Uh, no. no. No Twitter. No, You don't tweet?
2: No twits. <laughs> no Facebooks. No Instagrams. No headaches.